from the San Gabriel Valley Council of Governments. I am Alexander Fung, and this is Connect SGV, a podcast that features San Gabriel Valley and Southern California leaders on their unique stories and insights on handling emerging issues. As we approach the end of 2020, we're so excited to have two representatives from Everyone In joining us today. Allison Henry, who serves as Everyone In's East San Gabriel field organizer, and Teresa Ellers, who also serves as a field organizer for Everyone In, will share their insights on homelessness challenges and how cities and stakeholders can work together to tackle these challenges. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. To kickstart our conversations, um, do you mind sharing a little bit about, about yourself and what is your connection to the San Gabriel Valley? Sure. So Allison and I agree that we would take turns going where I'd, I'd go first. So my name is Teresa. Thanks for having me here. Um, I uh, am raised, I was raised in South Pasadena. I went to uh, Marengo Elementary School, the middle school, the high school, uh, but currently I live in Rosemead. So still, uh, still in the San Gabriel Valley, but not in South Pasadena anymore. That's wonderful. I actually went to South Pasadena High. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> nice. Well, thanks for um, having me, Alex. Uh, so I grew up in Claremont, um, sort of, you know, before the 210 freeway was there. Like, that's how young I am. Thank you for asking. Um, the 210 freeway is now behind what used to be um, my house and backyard. So had all my awkward and otherwise moments in Claremont, uh, went to college rather locally at UC Riverside, and I now live in Pasadena. Wow, that's wonderful. Thank you both for, for sharing. So I guess we'll dive right into it. Um, do you mind sharing with us um, what is everyone in and how are you a part of solving homelessness in the county? Sure, well, what I can do is I can um, take the first part of the question. Uh, so everyone in, uh, I, I think we can all agree that homelessness is a pressing issue and we can even say a crisis in our city, in our county, our region, our state, in our country. And so uh, the Everyone In campaign says, okay, well, we all agree that we need to do something about homelessness but how do we make real change happen? And a lot of uh, uh, change has to happen at the local level, at the city level. State, county, federal government, they don't necessarily have the ability to create a lot of the change that we need to see. So the Everyone In campaign is uh, this idea that the vast majority of people really want to solve homelessness. Let's get people involved, um, get them used to the idea of getting involved in local government, speaking at city council meetings, um, letting them know what public comment is, how do you submit it, and giving them ideas on policies that we can use in order to address our homelessness crisis. And the Everyone in Campaign in particular, we believe in the housing first model. Uh, scientific studies show that that's the best way to get people off the streets into housing and to keep them housed. I don't want to say too much, so I'll let Allison uh, take it from there. Thanks, Teresa. Um, so I would say to, to get to the second part of the question, I suppose, you know, how are we solving homelessness? A big, uh, we've I would say like two big parts, right? The first part is an education campaign. Um, educating people about 
what homelessness actually is, what it looks like, <clears throat> and how people fall into it, right? Because it's not just the story of someone who made some bad decisions or has uh, an addiction issue. It's, it's, it's actually much more than that. And this was all pre-COVID. So doing workshops with local community members, community organizations, and elected officials um, to get them beyond that housing resistant narrative, which is mainly a, a myth. Um, and, and really looking at also preventing homelessness. What can local officials and local people do in terms of political will and education to really bring uh, local solutions to bear? And the other footing of that, of course, is when you educate folks, um, they don't just stay home. Um, the other thing that Teresa and I really get a kick out of is getting folks to engage with their local city councils, planning commissions, housing departments. It looks different in every city in the SGV. And we're also just trying to get communities more involved in their own local decision-making process around housing, homelessness, and, and what we can do together collectively. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. So our second question, um, everyone in talks about a county-wide plans to end homelessness. Can you tell us a little bit more about it and what are some of the major successes um, have been so far? Sure. So, uh, yeah, it's countywide because um, there's homelessness is an issue everywhere. So we're looking at LA County creating policies, LA countywide. Um, and uh, however, even though we're countywide now, we started off being LA city specific. And so in 2017, uh, bond measure, it was called Proposition HHH, was passed and it generated over $1 billion to create more affordable and supportive housing in the city of Los Angeles. And so people were really excited. They're like, okay, we all agree there's a problem. We need to get people off of the streets. We have the funding to do it. We know what we're going to use that funding to do. And so we thought everything was looking great. And then uh, locations were picked to build a supportive and affordable housing. And then uh, neighborhood councils were coming out in opposition to these developments. And people were like, oh shoot, we, we thought that this was a green light. We thought that we were actually gonna do this, but then we've encountered another, uh, we were stumbling in the process where we hit a roadblock. And so um, the Everyone campaign, their first challenges and also their first major wins were in uh, the neighborhoods in LA city of Venice and Koreatown, because that's where the first um, big uh, uprisings against supportive housing came up. And that's also where we were able to see, well, if we educate people, um, we get people to come out to community meetings, to city council meetings, neighborhood council meetings, well, we're able to actually change the narrative and get people to be on the same page to support supportive housing. Allison, I'll kick it over to you if you have anything else to add. Well, yeah, I would also say that, you know, as, as we move through the East San Gabriel, all of the San Gabriel Valley, um, you know, the, the narrative and myths about our unsheltered neighbors are, are pretty uh, pernicious and persistent. And I would say that some of the successes that Teresa and I have had so far with the campaign and our community members who've joined us um, were pushing back on the pushback. Right? So pushing back on the pushback around Project Roomkey, 
pushing back on the pushback around some permanent supportive um, housing units that are going to come out of this is Project Home Key. Um, because there's, again, a real pernicious myth out there about, um, I, I, think, I think homelessness is sort of the intersection, right, of racism and classism. And um, unfortunately, we have a lot of that in our communities that we need to change and we and and overcome. And I would say that's a that's been a big success. And the fact that in our local elections just recently that housing and homelessness were not only key issues identified by the electorate and the officials running, um, but that we did get some progressive victories in there because of the housing first approach by some of these newly elected officials. This is actually a great segue into our next question. Um, a lot of people talk about supportive housing and rapid rehousing. Um, do you mind sharing what those really are and how are they different from one another? Sure. So uh, supportive housing is this, I, I want to say new, but it's, it's not new anymore, but it's new to the general public. So supportive housing is a model that is used nationwide. It is nationally accepted as the best practice to get people off the streets and to keep them in housing. And so supportive housing is affordable housing, which means someone pays one third of their income on rent and there are wraparound services provided on site to, to the residents, to the tenants. Rapid rehousing is a form of bridge housing it's not permanent. Supportive housing is permanent. Once you have your unit, you pay one third of your income, you could stay there for life. Rapid rehousing can last anywhere from 30 days, one month to six months. And the goal is during that time, your case manager will help place you into supportive housing or affordable housing, whatever that may be. Uh, both in rapid rehousing and supportive housing, you have supportive services, wraparound services. I can let Allison talk more about that because I don't want to steal too much of, of this question. No, I, I, what you've lifted up is is great, Teresa. Um, and you know the services are are key, right? Because in some of the permanent supportive housing, the services are you know they're they're obviously tailored to the different. Um, demographics. So there's uh, one housing project in um, South Whittier that's for transi transition transition aged youth, um, right? So kids who have spent uh, unfortunately too much time in the foster care system, um, and they they really struggle with housing. Um, and they're also one of those groups that are overrepresented in our unsheltered population, right? Um, so the services for those uh, folks are gonna look a little different. You're gonna have um, some life skills coaching um, for those that uh, wish to pursue education, um, you know, supports there, um, and then job training. And that's gonna look a little different than say the um, project that's gonna go in in Claremont, I'm very excited to say my um, hometown of Claremont has a great project that's gonna be going in um, on Baseline Road. Uh, not far from where I grew up. And it's going to be, it's done with uh, Tri-City Mental Health, and that's going to be um, uh, for seniors. And those wraparound services are going to look different, right? They're going to be uh, more targeted towards health, uh, physical health, mental health, and supports for an aging population. So the wraparound services are really key. And I think all of us could agree if I could have some wraparound services as just a tenant, if I could have some counseling, um, some health services in my apartment building, wouldn't that be wonderful? Um, you know, to extend it to everyone. So I like to offer it in that vein. And I would say just finally with the rapid rehousing, 
model. That's unfortunately one of the things that's been hard hit by COVID because some of the rapid rehousing um, centers, you know, they have to struggle with how to do this in, in congregate settings. So as we come into the holidays and with fewer resources available, um, I'd also offer that up to our listening public. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. Um, our next question is, um, can you explain the term housing first and why is that prevailing model given um, the challenges PEH may experience related to mental health or substance abuse? Sure, so uh, the term housing first is means that when someone is experiencing homelessness, the best way to help them out is the very first step is you get them into housing. This is in opposition to the model that was used for decades, which was essentially sober first, um, job ready first, you know, proving that you deserve the housing first. And so for decades, individuals who are experiencing homelessness were asked to jump through hoop after hoop just to prove that they were ready to earn their housing. And uh, we've seen over decades that that model has not worked. And rather than asking people to, um, you know, get a job first or deal with their demons first, we're saying, okay, well, we'll provide you with housing first. That's the term housing first model. And then from there with your case manager, we'll work on um, getting you into substance abuse counseling. We'll work on reuniting you with your family members. We'll work on getting you into job or going back to school. And so we've been able to see if someone is provided with safety, a roof over their head, a place to call their own home, a place to where they can get a good night's sleep, well, then they're able to flourish in other areas of their life, which um, yeah, it's taken us decades to realize that the best way to deal with homelessness is to give people homes, which which now today and today it's like, okay, well, <laughs> obviously that makes sense, but for decades that was not how, how people thought. Allison? Yeah, and I would just um lift up that the housing first model you know also begs the discussion of like you know people struggle whether they're housed or not right when we talk about the opioid crisis that is a drug crisis of housed people right and we recognize the medical connection the background of that so if you know we should really extend that lens of analysis to looking at our unhoused folks and i would also offer up that this while there are people on our streets because of the sort of the, the, the narrative of drinking too much or, or taking too many drugs or whatever, I would actually push back on that narrative. And this is a big thing that I uh, put forth in education, Teresa does as well. Like being on the streets is traumatic. You could have been a whole person when you arrived on the streets and being on the streets will chip away at you. And it's, it's extremely traumatic. We already know about the um, uh, violence against unhoused people. Um, when you look at statistics with police violence, unfortunately, um, encounters with unsheltered people are, are very high in terms of uh, violence and violent encounters. Um, so I think we need to think about, you know, what if, what if you were on the streets for a week or two weeks? You know, how would, how would you cope? How would you cope? How would you feel safe? And, and that's before you even start to talk about like what lasting effects. 
if we recognize PTSD in things like war, plane crashes, car crashes, we need to acknowledge the PTSD of living on the streets, right? Um, and I think that can really change how that, like when you put it in that frame, you're like, well, of course housing first, like, how are you gonna, how are you gonna deal with anything on the streets as Teresa said, but it really needs to be the full, like, because this is how other people handle it. You know, this is how other people handle it. And this is what we know what works. That is very important point to note. Um, every now and then we may hear this. Um, and huh, the question is, if we're doing so much to end homelessness, why does it seem like the problem is getting worse? Yeah, it's, um, well, we're, yeah, we're, we're doing a lot. The problem is growing and we've realized that so much of our homelessness crisis is a housing crisis. The, uh, there's data out there and actually the best data that I've seen is from the Pasadena Housing Department when they conduct their housing uh, homeless count is that the majority of people who are newly experiencing homelessness um, used to live in Pasadena for those who are experiencing homelessness in Pasadena and they've lost their, uh, be, they've lost their housing. Um, they weren't able to pay for their housing anymore. And so some countywide data that I think is extremely telling is uh, this is 2019 data. Um, 83,000 people newly fell into homelessness in 2019 and 76,000 people were either placed into housing through the housing first model or with case management they were able to find their own housing which means that there was a net number of 7,000 new individuals experiencing homelessness in 2019 and compared to 2018. So if you break it down by day we saw that 227 people became homeless each day in 2019, but only 207 people exited homelessness in 2019, which meant every single day in Los Angeles County, 20 new people were falling into homelessness. And then just adding to the backlog, adding to the caseload that the case managers have, adding to the wait list of people who needed to be placed into either affordable housing, supportive housing. And, uh, um, and it's, yeah, it's the, the, we need to address the root causes. Um, and I'll let Allison talk about the, the root causes a bit more. <laughs> Thanks, Teresa. Teresa knows that's one of my favorite riffs. Um, yeah, the, the housing crisis, it's a housing affordability crisis, right? I mean, Teresa provided um, some really, you know, stark data. And this is data that we got from 2019. This is before the, the COVID crisis. You know, we know that over 600,000 people were spending 90% of their income on rent. And for those in the audience who are scratching their head going, why would you do that? The reality, the actual reality is if you, once you're out of your apartment, it is very difficult to get back in. There are many barriers. If you have credit issues or if you have savings issues. Um, Post-pandemic or, or mid-pandemic, I've been looking at apartments um, just because I'm curious. For a $1,700 apartment for one bedroom, many management companies are asking that for one person, they need a credit score of about 700, 680 to 720 is the range I've seen and they need to show a monthly income for one person of $4,400. 
That's for a $1,700 one bedroom apartment. That's not every property management that's doing that, but it's a lot. That's a lot. If you have two adults, you need to document $8,800 a month. So when you put those numbers out there, 1695 is, it's still very high for an apartment looking at wages, but because of our sticker shock from the last few years, we think it's quite low. In San Gabriel Valley, rentals have increased every year. I'll give you some stats. Um, Baldwin Park, there was an 11.5% increase in the cost of the average rent in Baldwin Park from last year. Um, excuse me, that wasn't Baldwin Park, that was Alhambra, excuse me. Um, uh, Baldwin Park was a little lower, it was 3.5%, and it was actually a, a decrease. But all the other cities in the San Gabriel Valley, El Monte, it, there was an increase from last year. Uh, Pomona, an increase from last year, almost 6%. Um, and this is crazy. And so when you just look at the cost of housing to get into it or to, to keep it, it's very difficult. And one last thing I'll say about sort of the why the housing crisis is getting worse, you know, there's a lot of shame for people if they don't own their home and they have financial issues and they don't seek out the remedies, supports or rights that they actually have to stay in their home. So we have a lot of people who were what I would call an extrajudicial eviction and they they get a paperwork that they could actually fight back against and they couch surf and maybe they burn that bridge or fray those uh, vines and then they wind up in their car and it, this is you know the, the 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 numbers were staggering before covid we are seeing um you know more folks on the street and i i worry that as we come into winter we're going to see more and cities really need to look at what they can do to do things like rent control, do things like vacancy decontrol, do, th do something to prevent the, the cost of housing uh, going beyond what paychecks can sustain, because it's also a, a pressure cooker for employers. You can't pay all of your employees $120,000 so they're not sweating rent every month. And I, I would really urge local councils to take on what you can um, for tenants, because if, if, if they're renting from a great landlord, we're not talking about those tenants. But unfortunately, a lot of tenants are um, in business situations where business is driving homelessness. And we need to acknowledge that. We talked today a lot about homelessness issues and housing. Um, but how can residents and cities get involved in ending homelessness in their communities? Um, and we want to um, share some of the ideas with our audience and um, help them feel inspired about um, ending homelessness in the San Gabriel Valley and just across the country. Thanks so much, Alex. That's a great question. And it's exciting to know that council members are listening to this podcast and hopefully they'll they can get some ideas and get their, you know, their the wheel spinning in their minds of what they can do to help. Uh, I'm the organizer in the West San Gabriel Valley. And so I know just off the top of my head, Pasadena, South Pasadena, Alhambra, 60% of the people who live in those cities are renters. And um, there's just so much, it, often homeowners are the ones who run for council. They're the ones who um, have a lot of power. And so they don't necessarily understand the plight of people who are tenants, especially right now during, during COVID. And so going off of what, what Allison said, yeah, rent control, the statewide rent control 
is not enough. If your rent were to go up 8% every single year, if you're a homeowner, if your mortgage payment or your property taxes went up 8% every single year, um, you know, that's something that only happens to tenants. It doesn't happen to homeowners. Uh, and it's just, we need to keep people in their homes. It, it, like Allison mentioned, um, and I can speak from experience, it is so much more, it's more challenging and also a lot more expensive to get someone into housing if they're already experiencing homelessness rather than just keeping them in their home. Just keep find ways to keep people in their home then we're able to um, have generations of people living in cities or able to increase uh, the number of students who are enrolled in local schools. We can see that um, the enrollment in local schools is is declining rapidly. And a lot of it is because families cannot afford to live in Los Angeles County anymore. Um, they can't afford a two bedroom apartment where, you know, the parents live in one bedroom and then the children live in another one. It's just not feasible. And so we need more affordable housing. One way to get affordable housing is with an inclusionary housing ordinance. Uh, Pasadena has a fantastic inclusionary housing ordinance where 20% um, of all new units made um, are set aside so that they're affordable. Alhambra, I want to give major uh, kudos to Alhambra this year who passed an inclusionary housing ordinance where 15% of all new units that are built um, are set aside to become affordable housing. We also need much more supportive housing. So folks who are experiencing homelessness can be divided into two categories. There's some folks who really all they need is affordable housing, a place where that they can afford to live in. And there are other folks who need the wraparound services, who need the case management. They need someone checking in on them daily to make sure that they are going down the right track. And for that, we need supportive housing. And um, again, kudos to Pasadena, who has hundreds of units of, of supportive housing, about 500 units of supportive housing. They have over 1,000 units of affordable housing. Uh, Alhambra this past year just passed their first supportive housing development, which is great. Um, but we need every single city to start creating affordable housing, supportive housing. A lot of cities are working on their housing elements or they're uh, working on figuring out how to solve homelessness. They have their arena numbers. Now's the time. Now's the time to really start working on this rather than suing the state than <laughs> saying that these numbers are not the real numbers. I can assure you that they are. Our homelessness crisis is a, is a microcosm of our affordable housing crisis. We need the housing. In a lot of cities, rather than market rate housing, the arena numbers are saying that we need more affordable housing at all of the income levels. Find creative ways to build this housing. Work with your constituents to destigmatize affordable housing, supportive housing, who's experiencing homelessness and why. It's just um, there's this gut wrenching feeling that people have of who is homeless and why and what we what we think or what we were told when we were younger is true it's not true today 
Uh, like we mentioned earlier, third quarters of folks who are experiencing homelessness in LA County are experiencing homelessness just because they can't afford rent in LA County. Alison, uh, I'm, I'm sure you have a lot more to say. I don't wanna uh, steal all the time. No, but you gave some really great um, like local solutions, right? I mean, if, if, if our local governments are suing the state but turning their back on these local solutions, what's the message there? Um, so you've lifted up some great solutions and I would say that, you know, don't be the NIMBY, don't be the NIMBY in your community. Um, don't resist the building of housing. Don't resist um, sheltering people. Um, and if you're passionate about this issue, um, advocate at city council, um, join a housing group. Um, you can reach out to Teresa and I on, uh, we're, we've got an everyone in uh, Facebook page that we do for the local area. Um, but collectively we can do an awful lot locally, um, but reach out because that's the other way you can um, help us end homelessness is joining the community that says this is unacceptable. And we would welcome you joining us. Well, thank you both very much. A lot of amazing and important thoughts that were shared today. Uh, we're extremely thankful for our speakers' time today, and we very much admire their dedication to supporting the San Gabriel Valley and serving our communities. Um, as we wrap up, um, do our speakers have any final remarks before we sign off from this episode? Uh, if you want to learn more information about the Everyone In campaign, uh, you can check out our website, everyoneinla.org. We have a fantastic newsletter that goes out a bunch of different resources. We have some fun, um, really short videos to uh, answer very specific questions about housing, homelessness. And I really encourage all of you to check it out and sign up for our newsletter. And don't forget our unhoused folks um, coming into the winter. Uh, there's not gonna be a, um, a homeless count in 2021, um, which is unfortunate, but we do have Measure J um, so maybe we can lift up those funds to, to shelter folks, but I would just ask as we have these chilly days and cold nights, um, remember our less fortunate folks outside um, and that should light the fire in your belly for, for more, for more just, justice for them. Thanks. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of Connect SGV. For more information on the San Gabriel Valley Cog, our projects or Connect SGV, please visit our website at www.sgvcog.org. Thank you so much for your time.